Jessicus, we will be analyzing Wuthering Heights, the connection to the feminist movement and the first wave, as well as the characters in Wuthering Heights, their connections to each other with the love and passion that came between them. Emily Bronte, born in 1818, Yorkshire, England, was a novelist and a poet who produced but one novel, Wuthering Heights. In 1845, she was tucked away in the Hogwarts Parsonage where she wrote her first and only. She had hit a brick wall and she put down her pen and she took a brisk walk through the moors to clear her mind. Meanwhile, across the drawing rooms, across America, storms were brewing and it was called the first wave of feminism. And in 1848, the year of Emily's death, 68 women, 32 men, signed the Declaration of Sentiments in New York demanding equal voting and property rights and better access to education and work for women. Corseted women of the upper class perfected accomplishments like reading, music, and drawing to help them attract a husband, while the working class would often have to work and have minimal access to education and were effectively controlled by their husbands or their fathers if not yet married. The women of the Bronte sisters who were middle class had great access to education and their father, also a literary artist, would allow them to seek freedoms of their own. So they often spent time in their childhood beyond writing with complex fantasies together they would read extensively and wandered unchaperoned through the famous moors. And when they went away to become teachers and governesses, a governess as a woman who was employed for a private household to educate, usually girls, um, a range of accomplishments. During the Victoria era, this was very common to have a governess for your child if you are of the upper class. But when they inherited money from their aunt, they all three were finally able to give up work and to focus on writing full-time. It was perhaps this unique freedom that they had through their lives, combined with their exceptional isolation, which gave all three sisters the proto-feminist bent in their work. Proto-feminist meaning prior to or the beginning of the feminist era. Emily was one of the most reclusive Bronte sisters and the one we know the least about. Many ideas circle around her. It is impossible to say how much of Emily there was actually in Catherine Earnshaw from Wuthering Heights. Often, when we think about the woman's first wave of feminism, people often cite the Wuthering Heights characters, Emily Bronte, which brings a story about Catherine Earnshaw, a woman who was not considered your typical woman of the Victorian period, and shows a side of her that has many critics believe that Emily Bronte herself was a feminist. Now, Emily wasn't probably aware of the first wave feminism. She didn't get out much, and she didn't have a lot of people to spend time with other than her sisters. But years after her death, she would be remembered as a feminist icon. 
According to FashionAir.com, it discussed how women qualities were during the Victorian period. The qualities of a young Victorian woman needed to be innocent, virtuous, dutiful, and, of course, ignorant of intellectual opinion. The truthfulness of Catherine Earnshaw's struggle in the novel is what makes Withering Heights so open and appealing to the feminist criticism and, furthermore, historical criticism. In the beginning of the novel, indeed, the part of the novel that is key to deciphering of the story begins when Lockwood is in the room. The Heathcliff usually doesn't allow anyone in and is left alone and notices three names scratched into the paint of the bed. Catherine Earnshaw, Catherine Heathcliff, and Catherine Linton. The mysterious room no one is allowed to stay in with the carved names in the bed have a discovery in the diary of the gothic elements throughout Lockwood is able to see that there's a glimpse of something spooky about Wuthering Heights. Catherine Earnshaw is the one who discovers her last name identities scratched into the paint and in those quarters during Lockwood's visit he has a revelation and is important for the narrative to lay out Catherine's journey of the relationship and the stages of the feelings before and after when she begins to change as a woman. However, Bronte defines the plot in her own way by displaying the difficulties living as a woman. Catherine is interrupted as the heroine. However, she can't be the heroine as she is not able to because she's doomed by her gender. No authority where she needs it. And most Bronte uses the question, what is a woman? And shows us what a woman really is. Now, with the gender roles during the Victorian period, it is often that the man has to be masculine. Edgar Linton and Linton Heathcliff, for instance, are men, but Bronte frequently describes them as having the looks of attributes of women. Likewise, where Catherine Earnshaw has many masculine characteristics. She is beautiful, she's rough, she's outdoorsy, and she can hold her own in a fight. So she has a mixture of the femininity and the masculinity transfer between the male and female genders throughout the story. She even seems to favor masculinity over femininity, especially for the women. In general, she portrays weak, delicate characters in the men and more rugged in the women. This brings us to the question, what is a woman really supposed to be like? The first women's rights convention in July 19th and 20th of 1848, Seneca Falls, New York, the principal organizers, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott, Mary McClintock, Martha Wright, and Jane Hunt were at the convention where Stanton had drafted a Declaration of Sentiments and it echoed the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. Despite scarce publicity, around 300 people, most of residents showed up for the first day. During this convention, Frederick Douglass attended. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, which was one of the meeting's organizers, began with a speech of the convention goals and purpose. The convention proceeded to discuss 11 resolutions on women's rights, all passed unanimously except for the ninth resolution, which demanded the right to vote for women. 
Stanton and African-American abolitionist Frederick Douglass gave impassionate speeches in its defense before it eventually and barely passed. The five women who organized the Seneca Falls Convention were also active in the abolitionist movement which called for the end of slavery and racial discrimination. Stanton and Mott first met in London in 1840 where they were attending the World Anti-Slavery Convention with their husbands. When the convention excluded women delegates solely based on their sex, the pair resolved to hold a women's right convention. Susan B. Anthony did not attend the Seneca Falls Convention. She would later meet Elizabeth Cady Stanton in 1851 and spend the next 50 years fighting for women's rights alongside her, including co-founding the American Equal Rights Association. The Declaration of Sentiments was the Seneca Falls Convention's manifesto that described women's grievances and demands. Written primarily by Elizabeth Cady Stanton, it called on women to fight for their constitutional guaranteed rights to equality as U.S. citizens. During the Seneca Fall Convention, all the other resolutions passed easily, but the suffrage resolution did not pass at first. Elizabeth Cady Stanton asked Frederick Douglass to help her out. Frederick was the only African-American male presented at the convention, and he stood up to speak for the women's right for suffrage. Douglas said that if women were involved in the political sphere, the country could turn out to be a better place, and the women and African Americans should both have the same rights to vote, like white men did. Frederick's speech impacted the audience, and the resolution successfully passed. In a few of his quotes, At any rate, seeing that the male government of the world have failed, it can do no harm to try the experiment of a government by man and woman united. Second quote, I have never yet been able to find one consideration, one argument, or suggestion in favor of man's right to participate in civil government, which did not equally apply to the right of women. End quote. In 1847, Wuthering Heights could be easily analyzed and critiqued with a feminist lens. It is seen by many in a way that women were coming together to be observed in society in a different way than the Victorian period had them. The difficult time of women that were measured during the Victorian feminine ideals was keeping the woman as an angel of the house, dressed proper, beautiful, and was the role model. Catherine, as seen by many as the feminist role model, because she was independent and she didn't care how she dressed. She played in the moors and she would rather be barefoot and hanging out with Heathcliff as a tomboy. Please welcome Ella Hahn as she reads the poem she wrote on Weathering Heights. Once Upon Another Time, adopted from Weathering Heights, snow flowered across the melancholy open moor, gale howled over the top of stark willow boughs, rain poured upon the windowsill of that lapidated manor. He was waiting for his conscientious self 
with the angels of heaven and the fiends of hell. Decades went by. Nay, you never revealed your lie. Hair greed with deepening sigh. Lonely soul dared not to deny. Come back to me once more. He was desperately pleading himself, for he was spared to leave with his detestable flesh. Thy voice once more, tiny but detectable, grievous but relieved, fickle but strong-willed. Nothing, nay, God nor Satan shall ever part thy spirit. Hacken, the angels were singing, once more, sending your spirit into the oak tree. He opened a panel in your room, for the relic of your innocent sound lingered heretofore in his head. He longed too long for you, to feed up his own sinew in his cynical world. He was coming to you. Pray, God bless eternal lust of soul. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte takes place in the late 18th century and the early 19th century in Yorkshire, UK, on Yorkshire Moor. Top Withens is the prototype for Wuthering Heights, and Pondin Hall is the prototype for Thrush Cross Grange. The Bronte sisters had a very special feeling towards their old house on the moors, where it inspired most of their famous novels in English literature. My love for Linton is the foliage in the woods. Time will change it. I'm well aware as winter changes for trees. My love for Heathcliff resembles the eternal rocks beneath, a source of little visible delight, but necessary. Nellie, I am Heathcliff. Emily Bronte, a classic written from a Victorian era, wrote Wuthering Heights, an untouchable love story that has lasted for generations. The relationships of the characters in the novel built on the theme of love and passion throughout the Gothic-centered romantic tragedy Bronte develops each relationship so they identify with the theme in their distinctive way with one another. The relationships are comparable to one of the four seasons, though each of their individual characteristics that helped to form their unique way of love. The wind howls violently throughout the top of Wuthering Heights, a place with ghosts and history. Trees stretch their stark limbs and touch the windowsill. Guardian dogs bark like savage full fiends to protect the haunted walls of Heathcliff's spirit. Heathcliff's love towards Isabella resembles the withered flowers that never bloom inside humanity like an eternal winter. Heathcliff and Isabella's love is as cold as the bleak winter on the moorland. He's not a human being, she retorted, and he has to claim to be my charity. I gave him my heart, and he took and pinched it to death and flung it back to me. People feel with their hearts, and since he has destroyed mine, I have no power to feel for him. He groaned from this to his dying day and wept tears of blood for Catherine. Heathcliff tortured Isabella when they were married. Isabella thought Heathcliff was an honorable soul, and she did not listen to Catherine when she presumed Isabella not to marry Heathcliff. In the end, she knew that Heathcliff did not love her, and he had an alternative agenda to gain the riches of the Lampton family. I recovered from my first desire to be killed by him. I'd rather he'd kill himself. He has extinguished my love effectively, and so I'm at my ease. The reader can identify with the hurt and pain Isabella has endured during her marriage with Heathcliff. Isabella's love was totally depleted from Heathcliff's violent actions. 
She was also affected by his savage behavior from the way she spoke about her true wish for Heathcliff to die as soon as possible. She could run away or he could kill her sometime. Summer is the season where love puts their best face forward. The couple shows their best and brightest side for the world. If one stays in the sun too long, both of them will wilt like flowers, will dry up and die. Disguised emotions with smiles, Catherine never reveals her true self in front of her husband, Edgar. Edgar also tried to hide his feelings for his wife as well. He is constantly trying to compromise Catherine and forgive her whims. Catherine in turn wants to use Edgar as a step toward richness in her neighborhood. Her beauty and charm makes Edgar appear dashing in a crowded room of basic individuals. Catherine is Edgar's trophy and his disaster. And he will be rich and I shall like to be the greatest woman of the neighborhood and I shall be proud of having such a husband. First of all, and now say how you love him, as everyone loves your silly Nellie. Not at all. Answer. In this example in the text, Nellie has a conversation with Catherine where she is questioning her truth when it pertains to her love towards Edgar. She wants Catherine to recognize her selfish notions towards her marriage. After they get married, Heathcliff comes back. They openly have a quarrel with each other and Catherine reacts. Fair means, she said, in answer to her husband's look of angry surprise. If you haven't the courage to attack him, make an apology or allow yourself to be a beaten. It will correct you for foreigning more valor than you possess. Autumn is the natural falling season which represents Catherine Heathcliff's love. Catherine and Heathcliff are happy when they are children. However, when Catherine's brother Henley comes back to Wuthering Heights after finishing his study, Heathcliff is treated like a man of lower class by Henley because of their resentment towards each other. Henley broke up their love and tried to separate their love as much as possible. Catherine and Heathcliff encounter at Thrush Cross Grange makes for the introduction of Catherine meeting Edgar. This disrupts their relationship and forces Catherine to look at Heathcliff differently, and the experience encourages her, her to start a relationship with Edgar and marry him. This new relationship with a wealthy, handsome man puts a wedge between Catherine and Heathcliff's love. Why, how very black and cross you look, and how, how funny and grim. But that's because I'm used to Edgar and Isabella Linton. Well, Heathcliff, have you forgotten me? Catherine starts to grow into a selfish, arrogant, and patronizing woman. She views Heathcliff not as her friend, but as a lesser man or a mere servant. Mr. Earnshaw viewed Heathcliff as Mr. Earnshaw viewed Heathcliff as insignificant as well as when Catherine embraces Heathcliff and abruptly asks him to simply shake hands with her. Shake hands, Heathcliff, said Mr. Earnshaw, condescendingly, once in a way that is permitted. Heathcliff is offended and he retorts back. I shall not, replied the boy, finding his tongue at last. I shall not stand to be laughed at. I shall not bear it. After this experience, Catherine continues to play with Heathcliff's emotions. One moment she loves Heathcliff more than anyone and pulls him to her as close as possible. Thoughtlessly, when Edgar draws closer to her, she pushes him away at once. The whimsical dance sets the ongoing plot of the story, which is comparable to the change of nature in autumn.
Mr. Earnshaw viewed Heathcliff as insignificant as well as when Catherine embraces Heathcliff and abruptly asks him to simply shake hands with her. Shake hands, Heathcliff, said Mr. Earnshaw, condescendingly, once in a way that is permitted. Heathcliff is offended, and he retorts back. I shall not, replied the boy, finding his tongue at last. I shall not stand to be laughed at. I shall not bear it. After this experience, Catherine continues to play with Heathcliff's emotions. One moment she loves Heathcliff more than anyone and pulls him to her as close as possible. Thoughtlessly, when Edgar draws closer to her, she pushes him away at once. The whimsical dance sets the ongoing plot of the story, which is comparable to the change of nature in autumn. Unlike autumn, spring is the cheerful starting point of the year, which brings fresh love and energetic glow. Catherine Linton and Harriton Earnshaw relationship represents young Catherine Earnshaw and Heathcliff in the beginning. There used to be a cloud surrounding their relationship, for they don't know each other very well, doubting one another. You're a damn liar, began Earnshaw. Why have I made him angry by taking your part than a hundred times than that? when you sneered at and despised me, and go on plaguing me and I'll step on yonder and say you worried me out of the kitchen. Catherine retorted, I didn't know you took my part, she answered, drying her eyes, and I was miserable and bitter at everybody, but now I thank you and I beg you to forgive me. That can I do besides. However, as time goes on, their relationship starts to bloom and becomes love. Catherine gains the courage to go against Heathcliff on behalf of Hareton. If you strike me, Hareton will strike you, she said, so you may as well sit down. Catherine starts to cheerfully teach Hareton to read and write, and not going to tell you again, recollect or I pull your hair. Contrary then, answered, becomes a polite and delightful young man. It had been bred and Catherine's sincere commendations acted as a spur to his industry. His brightening mind brightened his peacefulness and flourishes at the end of the story, which represents a better ending of the relationship between Catherine Earnshaw and Heathcliff. The relationship with the characters have love, hate, innocence, resentfulness, and passion. Bronte distinctively builds characters that each have a unique aspect in love. As we leave behind the howling wind and ghosts of the past from withering heights, if you happen to visit Moorland, and you hear the crying wind, you will be given a reminder of a tragic love that once graced the lives of two families and left behind the anguish and passion between the two of Catherine. <coughs> <coughs> The relationship of the characters have love, hate, innocence, restfulness, and passion. Bronte distinctively builds characters that each have a unique aspect in love. As we leave behind the howling wind and ghosts of the past from withering heights, if you happen to visit Moorland and you hear the crying wind, you will be given a reminder of a tragic love that once graced the lives of two families and left behind the anguish and passion between the love of Catherine and Heathcliff.
Thank you for joining me with Just a Kiss. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Wuthering Heights. Me with Just a Kiss. This week we will be discussing Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. We will be comparing the characters' love for each other towards one of the four seasons, be it winter, spring, summer, or fall. Emily Bronte does an excellent job weaving a web between all the characters and uh, telling a compelling love story. What kind of love do you give which of the four seasons is you?